0: Welcome once again, wrestling fans, to another episode of Classic Wrestling Memories. This is Volume 17, and we're going in a little different territory because we're talking about something that happened just a few days ago as of this recording. And normally we pride ourselves in talking classic wrestling, but in this volume of Classic Wrestling Memories, we're going to talk the 2018 WWE Hall of Fame Class of 2018. And some of you may ask, well... Why are you talking about this year's WWE event uh, on a show called Classic Wrestling Memories? And really, when you think about it, everybody that was inducted fits the mold of what we talk about here on Classic Wrestling Memories. Because uh, tr- my co-host, Crazy Train, uh, and I agreed that really the attitude error was the latest that we were going to go as far as talking anything classic. So, uh, Train, does that seem like a... Uh, suitable uh reason to do a 2018 wwe event on a show called classic wrestling memories
1: i i feel so since the bulk of the inductees this year were from that era or at least had their their prime money-making years in that era there's some that were before that um uh so yeah i think it's classic it's um i don't know how many longer much longer we can do these because could be a, you know a few years down the road and the inductees are no longer going to be, it's going to be guys from, you know, the Ruthless Aggression era and stuff like that. And it's going to be kind of beyond what we talk about. So we'll we'll, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it, I guess.
0: But once again, I'm your host, Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, from the BehindTheSquaredCircle.com boards. And you just heard him, but let me introduce my co-host, Crazy Train, Jonathan Bullock. All aboard. Okay, so I got the list in front of me, and we're just kind of going to go in uh, sequential order here a- as they appeared in the ceremony that we started off with the Dudleys and they were introduced by Edge and Christian who kind of uh, told some stories and the Dudleys did their talking. They brought up uh, Edge and Christian and Hardys for uh, kind of posing up there on stage because really there was that time in the late 90s where uh, Dudleys, Edge and Christian and the Hardys kind of were the focal point of the tag team division for WWE at the time. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And I thought it was funny that, uh, Devon did, did his talking and Bubba Ray was like, no, no, you're just supposed to stand behind me and say, and say, yell, testify. And, <laughs> and, uh, Devon said, well, I'm a, I'm a producer now, so I get to talk. And then Bubba <laughs> said, why did you wait until the very last day of our career to be funny? Yeah, I, I thought that was a great comment. He, I mean, he said it a couple of times.
1: He's like, you choose now to be entertaining? Now? <laughs> I thought that was and, – and, you know, that's that's true because when they did do uh, interview, going all the way back to their ECW days, you know, the stick man was always, was always Bubba Ray. Devon wasn't bad on the mic. It was just – and that, that tends to happen in tag teams. You know, I mean, look at Ricky and Robert. Ricky was was the guy who talked, not – not not robert in the rockers it was you know marty talked not sean in demolition it was it was you know axe bill edie it wasn't it wasn't smash or cry i mean so it not the it's a very rare you have a tag team where both the guys do the talking uh you know i can think of a few bockwinkle stevens uh blanchard anderson but they're rare guys you know <laughs> the rare cases anyway
0: well it is kind of a fundamental in in tag teams like you said you have one guy that talks and then one guy that's the better worker right
1: we all know that was essentially michael hayes only point in the freebirds was to be the to be the guy that's you know stirred up all the muck and then you know buddy and <laughs> buddy and terry had to go out there and do the work right
0: i guess the only thing that i really didn't care for uh, for their speech was when they had that uh, supposed backstage guy that that told him they're going over time or something like that and then they they put him through the table and it's like i get it i know that's what they do but it's like in storyline what did that guy do wrong you know he was just doing I, his job
1: yeah i i didn't even i didn't even think that much about it i just thought well this is silly this is supposed to be a night where we honor uh, <clears> of <throat> competitors and and brothers and sisters from the past and do we need to be reminded what they used to do that way i mean that's what the video package is for isn't it it just seemed silly. It seemed contrived. Uh, it's it's that that WWE mentality that I hey oh we're here to put smiles on people's faces. People are already smiling that they're that their heroes and villains from the past are being honored. You don't need to do a wrestling spot. Save that for the next two nights on your shows. That was just my opinion. You know it's yeah. just dumb. And I, I I wonder I wonder if Bubba and Devon you know even question that. Because they're such good, they were they were known for being good soldiers who would do whatever they were asked. They, I, I don't think my opinion. I don't think they came up with it. I think it was something they were asked to
0: do, and they're like, okay, if you want us to, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, any other thoughts on their their speech?
1: I I enjoyed when they brought Edge and Christian and Matt and Jeff up. Of course, Matt and Jeff, I have a personal vested interest uh, in. It just it's it, it cannot be understated or underscored about the wrestling business that you got to have dance partners. It, it's, you know, you got to have a good dance partner. You can't, you can't get over and tell a story. Uh, if you don't have somebody who can help you tell that story and those three teams were so in it, in it linked together and told such good stories together. It only makes sense. It, it's, it's to me, it's like when you say, when you say Ric Flair, you automatically think sting and Ricky Steamboat, don't you? Mm-hmm or dusty same thing. same thing or dusty exactly when you think hogan you start thinking you start thinking andre you start thinking ultimate warrior randy savage it, it, mm-hmm. it's it's natural it's na- rivalries are what draw wrestling angles whether those rivalries are over money or pride or personal issues or belts that's what separates wrestling from all the other sports because we are a work we create those those rivalries and storylines I've said it before, and I'll say it again. All the other other "quote unquote" non-work sports, they try so hard to create those artificially in the hype leading up to the big games and the big matchups. You know, so that should tell you how important it is. Mm-hmm.
0: Next up was Hillbilly Jim. I don't know why they didn't play "Don't Go Messing with a Country Boy" when he came out because I actually really like that theme. Uh,
1: there are some of the music from that era of WWF. That the copyright stuff is kind of hinky on because it wasn't all written by Jim Johnston. They brought in other musicians at a, at, at the time, and when you're dealing with you know uh, ASCAP and BMI, you know copyright things can get a little funky. You, you know that as a musician, I know. So
0: okay, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like on the WWE Network why they dub over some people's themes here and there, right? You know, because there is so there is so a royalties hard. involved.
1: It's, it's so hard for me. As a as a, f- a fan growing up on the old Crockett product, knowing the old copyrighted m- entrance music that was used for these wrestlers, and it's just dubbed over when you watch the stuff on the network. I mean, when I hear when I hear "Rock and Roll Is King" by ELO, I don't think of Jeff Lynn. I think of Ricky and Robert coming to the ring. When I hear "Iron Man" by Black Sabbath, I think of the Road Warriors. Well, that stuff's all gone. The Midnight Express chase by. Giorgio Mortar was the was the perfect th- interview for the Midnight Express, but they don't play that because it's copyright, you know, <laughs> right,
0: right. Eye in the Sky. We you know, That's what mm-hmm. Ricky Steamboat came out to.
1: Yeah, it's serious. Uh, Tom Sawyer was was uh, Carrie Von Eric's old entrance theme. Everybody Wants You, which was the old theme for uh, Eddie Gil- House of Eddie Gilbert. And, and we have promised listeners in the past and we still intend to do that. That episode at some point in the future, we are going to do an episode solely dedicated to the history of music. In wrestling, and contrary to what most of you think, it goes back a lot farther than the Freebirds.
0: But, anyways, a little teaser mm-hmm. for things to come later on in the year. But as far as uh Jim's speech, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, they did show Jerry Jarrett uh, in the crowd, and mm-hmm. of course, I know that connection that Jim got his start in Memphis under mm-hmm. the name Get This, and I know you know a train, but he went by the name
1: mm-hmm. Harley Davidson. Yes, he did. He was, and he was a tag team wrestler. He wrestled with, uh, oh, what was his name? He even mentioned him in his speech. Roger Davis, I believe, was his partner's name. I, but they were a right heel. Here. They were a heel biker gimmick team. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, take that for what it's worth.
0: Yeah, and um, I'm trying to remember who else he thanked. Um,
1: oh, Stu Hart, because I mean, he really got polished up in Calgary, and he talked about his time up there. Um, I I was really I've 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 never met Jim personally, uh, but I've heard nothing but good things about him from guys I respect in the business. I have listened to his his serious or satellite radio program and mm-hmm. I've heard him do interviews. I was amazed that and I thought it was it was good. I don't think a lot of people realize because he was so convincing in that Rube Hillbilly gimmick, how articulate and uh educated and personable jim davis which is his real name if i believe or uh, is how he is you know um he i think it kind of floored some people they didn't they didn't realize that he had that in him um i think that he's a great example of the same problem you're having with roman reigns right now and i think it's something that our listeners probably don't know and most wrestling fans don't know it happened to brad armstrong um a lot of guys in the locker room they're quick witted and they're funny and they've got all this charisma and personality. And because Booker see that backstage, they think, well, that we, we need to get this guy in front of a mic on camera more often because they're thinking it's going to, it's going to show itself, you know, on the other side of the camera where the, where the fans can see it. And that doesn't necessarily happen. You know, I think with every guy, it's different with Brad. I don't know what it was with Brad. If he got stage, right with Jim, I think Jim, it didn't fit his gimmick. So he just didn't go there. And with a guy like Roman Reigns, this is because he's overproduced. You know, I mean, everything I hear about Roman is he's like the most, uh, you know, really quick witted and got this great personality and they want him to bring it out on, 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 on camera. But how can they, when they're producing him, you know, mm-hmm. now here's a chance for, for hillbilly Jim, who's not having to worry about that gimmick and not being produced because they don't produce these. They let these guys say what they want to say. And, and you see, you can see in his speech why promoters believed him It wasn't just the fact he's a big man and he was he's, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a he's a big man. Only people realize how big he he's like six seven six eight.
0: Yeah, you know. I, I think uh, in the video bits he used to do with Hogan, where Hogan mm-hmm. was training him to be a wrestler, I think, he was taller than Hogan. Like, yeah, he yeah. <laughs> so yeah, all that helped,
1: but when you saw the unfiltered personality of who the man was, you can see why a promoter or a booker could see this and go there's something here you know there's there's a, there's a charisma there's that it factor we talk about all the time you know and, and and it's i i was very impressed i was happy too because jim is a good old boy from the south and and he spent he made his he obviously made his most mon- made most of his money uh playing up a what i consider a stereotypical and somewhat negative uh a portrayal of a southerner but when you see him out of that gimmick, just because just because you got a southern accent and you enjoy things that are you know typically enjoyed in the South, doesn't mean you're stupid and doesn't mean you're not articulate. I think he he showed that off, don't you?
0: Yeah, and I'm probably going to catch some heat for this, but uh, you know, twbp show on on Twitter or if you want to email me directly, Seth at a one wrestlingcom uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of the things that I have noticed over the years, with the exception of Steve Austin and possibly Jeff Jarrett. Mm-hmm. Where's the Southerner that is put is given a serious push that isn't a comedy gimmick?
1: Maybe J.R. and the King and even them. How do you change the King because Lawler's just Lawler? And J.R. was still uh, humiliated some. I mean, for God's sakes, they mm-hmm. made him join the Kiss My Ass Club in his hometown in Tulsa, or close to his hometown. You, you, right. They do. You know, I mean... And even Jarrett, to a certain extent, with that country music singer gimmick, and we'll get to Jeff in a little while. That was kind of a, a rib. And it, it, for God's sakes, Vince was born and raised in North Carolina. He's a southerner. Hmm. Uh, I mean Cornette probably not, but I mean that's part of Cornette's charm. What are you gonna do? It. Cornette's kind of like 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 Lawler. By the time you got there, everybody knew who he was, and so they you, you get what I'm saying, you know? Right, right. But yeah, you're right. They don't. They don't. They don't. They don't. They put Dusty in freaking. Hokadochs, for God's sakes! Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to catch some heat for saying this uh, because it's going to seem like it's coming through Brooks. I'm a southerner who grew up on Southern wrestling. Outside of the Calgary guys, outside of the, outside of the uh, of the border guys like the Guerreros and Ray Mysterio that had the lucha influence, how many great pro wrestlers came from outside of the southeast? Either got trained here or from here. Ten percent, maybe. I mean, I, I, you tell me. Yeah,
0: I don't. I, 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 mean, I can't <laughs> think of any.
1: I mean, there's, I mean, there's, there's always going to be guys. I mean, Cena is from you know up north, and, and and Bruno was from up north. There's there's great stars from south, north of the Mason Dixon line. But even the ones that you don't think of as Southerners are probably are, are from the South originally. Minneapolis has a lot of guys. You know that we've talked about that with with Rick Rude. But I mean, I, there's just so many people that are from here that you don't even realize they're from here they're from the South and they're stars. You know, I mean. You don't think of – I'm trying to think of a really good example. I mean, Hogan's a great example. Hogan's from Florida. You don't mm-hmm. think of 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 Hogan as a Southerner, but he is. So anyway.
0: But one last thing I'll say about Hillbilly Jim. Now, I've only ridden through Kentucky. I haven't really spent mm-hmm. any time there. Right. He represented Kentucky so well. I, w- I just want to drive down to Kentucky and just get in a log cabin <laughs> or something like that and just spend a few days. <laughs>
1: Are you saying that he's a much better representative than, say, oh, Jim Cornette, who's probably the other most famous Kentuckian yeah. from, <laughs> in the wrestling business? <laughs> well, one was a career babyface, one was a career heel, so, you know.
0: Uh, any other thoughts about Jim's speech?
1: No, just I was, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I, I liked I liked it. I thought it was the right length. And, and just, boy, he makes you want, he makes you kind of want to go back and watch his stuff now. I mean, that's what kind of the whole right. point of this is, isn't
0: it? <laughs> right, right, exactly. And it's funny you brought up the length of it. I, I was, Hearing criticisms, and we talked about it on the Wrestling Brethren podcast. That uh, there were there were some of the co hosts there thought it was too long, and I'm like, I didn't think it was too long, you know. But no. you know, I guess I was just kinder to it than than some. <laughs> the people.
1: only the only the only one I can think of that ever went probably too long. There's two that come to mind, Mister T's, but then it kind of became a parody of itself as it went on, and and that, that made it more enjoyable. And Lita. I think we all realized after Lita's uh, acceptance speech why she was not given a mic much in her career, and mm-hmm. it just rambled and rambled and rambled. Now there have been ones that have been very, very long, like oh, Ric Flair's, but it was so damned entertaining you didn't care, you know,
0: right? Or the freebirds, anyway.
1: I, yes, exactly, exactly. You know, and, and sometimes the inductors go on longer than the actual inductees, which is is fine. You know, I mean. I, I, DDP went on forever when Jake went in, but his, his speech about Jake was so awesome. It was, I was, I was entertained. I was captain. Go ahead. Keep talking, Dally.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but next up, there were the legacy inductees. Now, obviously we can't spend as much time on these because they didn't have any inductors, but just a few bullet points. Uh, Stan Stasiak, who I think probably could have had a full blown induction because Sean Stasiak's still around.
1: Uh, I yeah, I agree. But I don't know if many of the fans know who he is and in the grand scheme of the history of not only the wrestling business, but particular WWF, he was a transitional champion. He was just the guy right. to hold the title to switch from one babyface champion, Bruno, to another, Pedro. So but it doesn't doesn't change the fact he wasn't a star, you know. I no problems with him going in.
0: Right. Stan beat Bruno to end Bruno's second reign, right?
1: That's correct. Yeah, it was Ivan Ivan ended the first and he ended the second.
0: El Santo, who I think anybody who knows any history about wrestling knows, uh, and he goes back to the 50s, I want to say, and he used to do movies playing basically a superhero version of himself. Exactly.
1: I, I've said before um, that WWE <laughs> made a lot of good with me, with me personally a few years ago when they started the Legacy, and the first person in the Legacy class was Luthez because I've always said, you know, if you – any organization or group that claims to have a professional wrestling hall of fame cannot call themselves that unless lutez is in it well that's just one name there's about 10 to a dozen names that if you don't have these 10 to a dozen names in your hall of fame then you're not truly a professional wrestling hall of fame in my opinion el santo is on that list of 10 to 12 people Mm -hmm. Uh, no bigger star has ever been produced by the by the country of mexico None. um you know, and, and and I don't see as, – as hot as, as wrestling always is in south of the border, I don't know if there ever is going to be another El Santo in Mexico, quite frankly. And he's just larger than life. He was huge to that. So he's he's a definite – I mean, he's – maybe we need to do an episode on the list of guys that have to be in, in a Hall of Fame to call the Hall of Fame. That would be, <laughs> yeah, that you would be your, pretty entertaining.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you make your list. I make mine.
1: Right we've got about ten ten to a dozen guys each, you know, and if you' and I can tell you right now you're you know, spoiler or <laughs> el santo and luthez are 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 on I'm pretty sure they're on your list too, so we we'll probably agree on that one
0: yeah, agreed uh, Jim Londos, and he goes back to around that gold dust trio era right a little bit after okay
1: he was kind of the the era the era 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 between between gold dust trios dissolving and then the rise of luthez, and the interesting thing about Jim Londos is this. If you ingest, because he, he was actually a bi coastal guy, he was a star in New York and in Los Angeles, which was unusual back then. He's another one that people need to go look at the history books. You can talk about that record run that Bruno had selling out, you know, consecutive sellouts of the garden. Uh, you can talk about all the money that Hogan and Austin both made. I think if you ingest for a f- inflation, there are some metrics that will put him at the top as the highest grossing talent ever in the history of professional wrestling because of his bicoastal nature and being on top in both both coasts for a pretty long time. And he's just a guy people don't ever hear about. That that in and of itself should put him in a Hall of Fame,
0: you know? And here's something to think about cuz we're talking what 40s, early 50s?
1: Uh the mid mid 30s to to mid to late 40s.
0: Okay. So he was a star on both ends of the continent. Before television. Before jet planes. So if he flew it was in a propelled plane. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and what do both New York and and
1: Los Angeles have huge uh, ethnic communities of Greeks. And he also would go to Greece and wrestle there too, as a as a as a, you know, a conquering hero. So yeah. I I I've looked at that before the metrics. Uh it was a interesting article and I can't remember which one of the newsletters it was. If you ingested it for it, this was pretty soon after Steve Austin's ride, meteoric rise, that if you if you adjust all of them for inflation, Jim Londos is the, is the highest-drawing talent ever in the wrestling business. Like I said, that includes Hogan. That includes Stone Cold. That includes Gorgeous George. That includes Lawler in Memphis. That includes you know a lot of everything, El Santo in Mexico. That's amazing when you think about it.
0: And speaking of uh, ethnic- ethnicity, uh, next on the list is Sputnik Monroe, who really – uh, was huge in that civil rights era, right? Oh yeah.
1: If you want any more information on how Sputnik, you need to go back to our uh, episode. I think it was number was it number seven or number eight where we had on Dan uh, Dan the Dragon Wilson, and we discussed the Great Memphis Split and talked about some of the past heroes of the Memphis territory and Sputnik. We had a nice little talk about him and how important he was to that. He segregated wrestling in the city of Memphis before the Civil Rights Movement, or during the Civil Rights Movement. Think about that. He integrated it. He ended segregation.
0: That's amazing. It is Volume 6, is the Great Memphis Split. split. So, Next up, a, a name that a lot of modern fans will recognize, at least the last name, and that's Boris Malenko, who is, of course, the father of Dean Malenko. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people
1: think that Ivan Koloff kind of invented the Russian chain match. Oh, no. Boris Malenko did. The professor, Boris Malenko, who was a huge star... Here in the Carolinas, uh, in in the seventies, that time frame, when uh, George Scott came in and decided to change the territory from a tag team centric to a single centric, he was a, a manager. Uh, he managed uh, Bill Eadie in his first gimmick as Bolo Mongol, the uh, the Mongols. Um, great, vicious foreign heel, um, and isn't even Russian. He's actually. Jewish and I'm not sure where he, uh, I can't remember where they where he's originally from but on a personal note uh the guy who ran the the guy who ran the wrestling school I went to uh Brody Chase was trained by Boris Malenko. Boris trained a lot of if you were trained in Florida in the 70s or 80s and you weren't trained by Hiro Matsuda you were probably trained by Boris Malenko. So
0: all right next on the list and this is a guy I don't think either of us know that much about but mm-hmm. Dara Singh?
1: All the thing I know about him is what Dave Meltzer has written about him in The Observer. Uh, but I know India is a country that historically, going all the way back to the pioneer days of wrestling, uh, has has a love for wrestling. The culture itself, you know, amateur collar and elbow style, catches catch can is popular. and has been for millennia in India. So if he's the biggest star in that country of all time, that that's pretty impressive. So,
0: you know. And he was elected into the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame in 1996. So there you go. And that was the inaugural year of the Hall of Fame, if I remember right, for Dave. So there you go. We've mentioned him twice before, but Hiro Matsuda. And he's another Mm -hmm. one. You probably could find people that could induct him and find people that could do the acceptance speech. But uh, he really was probably more known... As a trainer, I think just the the people that he trained, but he also had that successful in ring career. And uh, mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan to this day will tell the story about how a Hero broke broke his ankle training. Mm-hmm. He trained, tra- he trained Luger. He trained a lot of guys. But
1: I had to laugh in the little video package they have when they said he was a beloved star in Japan. No, he wasn't. He <laughs> couldn't get over in Japan. He only worked there for like five years at the beginning of his career, and came over here to get over. <laughs> he, he lived in Florida, right? Yes, he moved here. He never went back. He, he, <laughs> he, you know, he was one of the early guys to come out of the out of that. I think it was a Noki that uh, the organization he trained with, not Baba's. But he couldn't get over there. He he worked over here and toiled in the in the preliminaries for five years and said, you know, and he came over here and he liked it and you know it was easy in that time period to be the evil Japanese heel. He did it well, and there you go. And he had a quite a successful career in Florida. Brady Graham, you know, as as, as, a, as a, that evil Japanese heel, that was just a thing back then. Different time, folks. It wasn't quite politically correct back then. And, and, and let's be honest, the the wounds and memories of Pearl Harbor and the Japanese being our enemies in World War Two was not that r- far removed, especially for some of the older fan base.
0: And remember, he wrestled well into his 50s, if I recall correctly.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was a shooter. Make no bones about it. Hero mm-hmm. could tie you up. Hero could tie you up.
0: All right, moving on. The next entrant, a, a name we both know. Well, you, you know better than I, but I've heard, I've heard the name dating back to the after mags, but Rufus mm-hmm. R. Freight Train Jones. Oh, I
1: don't. You know, with him and the Singh, not saying this, the, the Singh gentleman that I don't know that much about shouldn't have gone in. Some of the political correctness comes through sometimes. You know, every year they have an African-American inductee. And I'm not. I'm not, you know, once again, if you want to complain- crazy train underscore JB on Twitter. Um, it's, it's 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 I loved Rufus and he was he was one of my favorites as a kid, but he was not a good worker. He was not a big draw anywhere. He, he just they're going to run out of these <laughs> these guys that actually had main event runs of African-American uh, descent eventually. And then I don't know what they're going to do in the WWE. Just, you know, that's the problem with being politically correct. You're You're, you're painting yourself into a corner. But with well, that being said, you know, Rufus, Rufus, he was charismatic, couldn't couldn't work a lick, but um, uh, you know, he he was he was over here in the Carolinas because he is from here. He is from a little small town, uh, down near the coast, about forty miles outside eh, sixty miles outside of Myrtle Beach, called Dillon, South Carolina, which happens to be the hometown of my best friend from high school's father. Uh, and believe me, he told me, oh, I, Rufus is like a god in Dillon. Of course, Dillon has four traffic lights, but
0: <laughs> you know. It's the type of town where you'd be driving down the street and you'd see the sign that says entering Dillon. And then half huh? a mile later, there's the <laughs> sign that would say leaving Dillon.
1: Yes, thank you for visiting Dillon. This is not a big city. But, uh, you know, he was also a draw in Kansas City. But once again, Kansas City was universally regarded as about the worst territory back in the territorial days for a lot of reasons. So I don't know what that is. But Rufus, he was entertaining. But... He probably was one of those guys. It just, it just would not translate today. He, he kind of had a shuck and jive, you know, a very
0: stereotypical black. But
1: I mean, there was charisma there.
0: I guess that's why he teamed with uh, Bugsy McGraw then, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, they they they, they kind of had similar vibes, you know. Uh, I know that there's a couple of fun stories that uh, if our if our listeners want to look up uh, online or in Rick Flair's autobiography, he tells a couple of funny Rufus R. Arj- Freight Train Jones. Stories, stories about him getting drunk, trying to trying to outdrink Roddy Piper one night, and getting left passed out on the hood of his Cadillac on the side of the road. <laughs> and Roddy's <laughs> in the town already, so <laughs> the of the story is don't try to don't try to get in a drinking contest with Roddy Piper. But anyway, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and obviously Rufus R. Freight Train Jones was not his real name, but um, uh, Rufus R. Freight Train Jones is definitely a more marketable name than Kerry Lloyd.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> There's a reason that that, that Dirty Dutchman tell changed his name from Wayne Keown. Just saying, right? <laughs> Another South Carolina-born wrestler.
0: <laughs> but you mentioned uh, you know, the diversity in the, that goes into the inductees. The next name is Cora Combs, and she mm-hmm. kind of comes from that Mildred Burke era, right?
1: Uh, no, Cora actually was one of those gals that was independent from Moolah after Moolah had kind of taken over. Uh, the She was in between like Moolah and Mildred. Um, go back and listen to the episode where I interviewed Susan, Cora was one of the first girls that she got sent out of Texas by Joe Blanchard to work, and of course we okay. lost oh, Cora.
0: Yeah, yeah, just a couple of years ago. But she, she's a Debbie Combs' mother,
1: right? That is correct. And she was like ninety or ninety-one when she passed away, which I think I commented when we did a tribute show to her that that made her the oldest living worker we could think of. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cora was was tough as a cob, and and, um, and Susan tells the story of that. To the, to the day she died, Cora would not admit that Joe Blanchard told her to rough her up, but she knows that Joe told, told her to rough her up. <laughs> so, so, but Cora was, you know, there weren't many girls that weren't in the Bur- B- Mildred Burke or Moolah camp for, you know, what, 40 years. She was one of them. She didn't stray much from Tennessee, but she was a legend in her home state of Tennessee f-
0: without a doubt. And finally, uh, last but certainly not least, Lord Alfred Hayes, who, I kid you not, they said Best remembered as Vince McMahon's sidekick. And I just wanted to smash my head against large iron objects when I heard that. Yeah, there's so much more to Al Hayes than that. Um, Al Hayes had a very successful
1: in-ring career as a competitor, uh, was a great manager. Uh, One of the last runs he had as a manager was here in the Carolinas in the early 80s before he went to Vince to be a commentator. Uh, Just was an awesome, awesome, snooty British heel manager and wrestler. You know, much in the vein of, say, like a William Regal, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And to transition into the kind of funny, jolly, you know, uh, baby face announcer he was is amazing. That shows you how
0: talented he was, doesn't it? Right. You yeah, because my generation probably remembers him best as being that you know, kind of uncle or grandfatherly, mm-hmm. but still kind of cool Brit guy that you just wanted to hang out and mm-hmm. have some tea with. I mean, he
1: essentially, when they when. Was it Tuesday Night Titans or whatever it was? The, 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 the fake late-night uh, late talk show that they did in the 80s as, as one of their USA programs. Vince McMahon was essentially Johnny Carson, and Lord Al Hayes was essentially Ed, Ed, Ed McMahon. So mm-hmm. I think a uh, funny, I, I, for our Alfred Hayes' story, in 96, when, when Vince had finally beaten the steroid you know indictment and came back to run the company, he had spent so much money doing it because this is before the the company's publicly traded. So everything that was his was the company's and vice versa to, to make ends meet for the time being. Cause he spent so much money in his legal defense. He cut the salary of all of his former wrestling talents that were working behind the scenes. You know, and that included people like JJ Dillon and gorilla monsoon and Lord Al Hayes. Lord Al Hayes was the only one of them that said, Nope, I'm going home. And he went home <laughs> on good terms, <laughs> on good terms. He's just like, Nope, I don't need to work here anymore. You don't have to cut my pay. I'll just retire. Have a good life. He left, Because <laughs> right.
0: remember, uh, the Lord part of Lord Alfred Hayes—that's a shoot. That's not a gimmick.
1: I, th- I believe that. I believe it is. I believe it is.
0: You know, he he actually owned land in in England because that's that's what a lord is uh, o- over in the UK or or England is a person who owns a large pot of land that other people rent and maybe they live on or or something to that effect.
1: I believe that's correct, and it is a title. It's considered lesser nobility,
0: if I, I believe. Right. Okay, back to the regular inductees. We have Ivory, uh, inducted by Molly Holly, and um, I think Molly's, I, both of them really, I mean, they just came across as uh, totally pre-written and, and scripted.
1: I think so, but I also think, because I, I I know Ivory a little bit, I think she had a lot of input in it. She just had help with one of the writers
0: getting it and, and formatted. Does that make sense? Right, right. And um, Lillian Garcia was, was part of this too, right?
1: Yeah. uh did not know that they the three of them were actually riding partners back when they were all in the company together, so it kind of made sense. Mm-hmm.
0: But the biggest thing that I'll say about Ivory, and uh, I, I think you're in agreement here, I believe this year uh, Ivory is going to be 57. You know, She actually started mm-hmm. out in the glow days. I think she was like a cheerleader mm-hmm. or something like that, and then mm-hmm. just uh applied for glow and got the job and such so so she dates back to the mid 80s but 57 I don't know if she's found a fountain of youth I don't know if she's immortal I don't know if she's <laughs> undead you know it's like she looks exactly the same as when she debuted in the mid 90s so I'm I'm watching this and I'm like I'm like Gandalf you haven't aged a day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um I I'll be honest
1: with you Ivory is one of it probably is my favorite i don't mean this as a judging by in work in ring work i mean as a person is my favorite female personality in our business uh from a more modern era most our listeners know that my mentors were from the era of girls before her the susan greens the judy martins the leilani kai's even a little bit Mula, you know so she, I have always had a close tie to the women's re- wrestling scene because of that. She is my absolute favorite one as a person. I like Mickey James, who I know fairly well too, a lot, but she's just the sweetest. And part of it, she's like me. She don't ever shut up and she's full of energy. So that's probably part of the reason we get along. But, um, she just, I think you saw it in her acceptance speech uh, that she's a, a genuine person. And I thought it was cool that they allowed her to and that they got the footage from uh, her glow days, I think that that's important, because I think people need to realize that not all the girls that came out of glow were just stupid TV characters. Some of them actually became decent workers. And how cool was it that she brought her old tag team partner, uh, uh, Ashley Cartier, with her, and she was in the crowd? That was that was neat. You know, uh, mm-hmm. From a guy who wrestled in a tag team for a long time, if one of you breaks out and has success, the other one doesn't, you can sometimes forget them. Don't do that. And she didn't. And that was so cool to me. That was, you know, once again, I'm just, as I saw her mention her and then they, the camera moved and showed Ashley in the crowd. I'm going, this is why I love you so much. <laughs> you know, I was reminded why I liked her and why I got along with her, you know?
0: And long before Tristratus came along, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she, she was in glow, meaning ivory, uh-huh. and She was under the name Tina Ferrari and Ashley Cartier was her partner. And they were known as TNA. In the right. 1980s, right, and, and
1: actual wrestling women wrestlers. Okay, uh, she was probably, in my opinion, the prettiest of all of them from that era, other than maybe Trish Stratus. She's just a beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. There's Deborah and Miss Elizabeth and and Sherry, and they're all beautiful. They're all beautiful women. Okay, I'm not, but they weren't actually wrest. Well, Sherry was, but you know what I'm saying?
0: Because mm-hmm. it was it was one of the Guerreros that. Did all the training for the Glow Gals back in the day, right?
1: Uh, yeah, Mondo did most of it, but Hector would come in and help him from time to time.
0: You know, trained by a Guerrero, you know, I don't think you can get a much better yeah. trainer than that. Nope. Nope. Uh, next up was Kid Rock, who was inducted by AAA. And it's hard to believe Kid Rock's been working with WWE for 20 years, because uh, Devil Without a Cause, I think, is 20 years old this, this year, right? Mm, something like that, yeah. Sounds about right. But uh, what's funny is, uh, I mean, Triple H did a very respectful introduction, and Kid Rock's speech, I think, was maybe five to seven minutes. He he was definitely the shortest inductee. I think his uh, acceptance speech was shorter than Triple H's induction. Probably.
1: You know, everybody complains about the celebrity wing. I don't know why. It doesn't bother me. And, and I was in the business, you know. And uh, I understand it started out as a as, as a haha joke by putting Pete Rose in, since everybody knew he wasn't going to go in the Baseball Hall of Fame, which is a, a travesty. We will discuss it another time. He's a baseball <laughs> fan, I'm sure, have an opinion on that as well. Uh, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it's a it doesn't bother me, and I wish people would get past that. And especially, it seems to be. If you don't like a particular person that they induct for their work outside of wrestling, then all of a sudden they shouldn't go in. Like I know people that hated Snoop Dogg because they're not hip hop fans. I know people that didn't want Kid Rock because you know they don't like him as music. It doesn't matter. He's worked with the company for twenty years. I mean, he's he's let it go. I am. And other than Mr. T and even his, I don't think was disrespectful in by any stretch of the imagination. Sometimes. The celebrity inductees are the most respectful of all the inductees in a, in a particular year. They all seem to be – it is – wrestling is entertainment, you know, and I thought Kid Rock's acceptance speech and how he related wrestlers and the and being on the road to a, a touring musician like himself, mm-hmm. he, gets it, he gets it, you know. I mean it's like there was a bond there. I don't go in the ring and abuse my body like you guys do, but I, I appreciate and respect what you guys are doing, you know. And one thing for all, if whether you like Kid Rock or not, look it up. It's well documented. He's very dedicated to his to his children. You know, he's very dedicated. Little inside note, he own when he tours, now that he's powerful enough and big enough to really have a lot of say in how his tours go, he only does shows two nights in a row. The reason why is he takes the third night off and no matter where he is, he flies back to Michigan to spend the day with his son. I think that says a lot about him as a as a man, you know. So if yeah. you, you hate Kid Rock, maybe do a little more research first and don't hate on the WWE for celebrities in, in, in general. Kid Rock in particular, I thought he was very respectful and he was entertaining and he was brief.
0: Mm-hmm. On, a, on a lighter note, Kid Rock is 47 years old. Shouldn't he be changing his name to Man Rock by now?
1: <laughs> I have, I, <laughs> it's funny you bring that up. There are several wrestlers I've met throughout my career who when they were young started out with a kid-type gimmick. Uh, one being uh, – one of the most one of the ones I remember most story about was a guy named Seth DeLay who wrestled in Wildside with me, and his original gimmick was kid cool. And I'm like, um, Seth, he was a good kid, but he was 18 at the time. I'm like, you know you're not going to be 18 forever. One day you're going to be old like me. What are you going to change your name to then? He said, sexy man Seth. <laughs> I was like, okay. But uh, yeah, you're right. It, it, it's it, – are you familiar with the song Youth Gone Wild by Skid Row from back in the late 80s?
0: I, it's been 25 years since I've heard it. But you know the song I'm talking about. Yeah. Well,
1: Sebastian Bach, the lead singer of Skid Row, actually has that tattooed on the inside of his forearm. And he's made comments in the last seven, eight years. He doesn't like to perform that song anymore. And I'm like, why? And he said, because when, I've, when I wrote the song, I was 24. I'm 40-something. I'm not, I'm not really a youth going wild anymore. I'm, I'm middle-aged and crazy now. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Reminds me of a quote by Dale Watson about uh, one of his songs. I forget the exact song, but he said, I wrote that song when I was young and angry, and I'm, and I'm neither angry nor young anymore.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, now I'm old and angry.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: but next up was uh, Jeff Jarrett. Uh, and the perfect inductor for him is, is of course, Road Dog Jesse James, uh, and one of the biggest, more emotional nights and part of the night, and it happened again later with Mark Henry, but Jeff Jarrett sang the praises of Owen Hart because of course they had that uh, tag title run, and it was like what uh, Josh Weiner said on you know, Wrestling Brethren. it's like it was almost like Jeff was giving his own personal induction speech for uh, for Owen Hart, uh-huh. and. Uh, I, I also noticed he didn't bring up TNA at all, which maybe he was told not to. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that, that laundry list of people he wanted to thank and he, he might've rambled a little bit, but Jeff strikes me as a type of person that would rather speak from his heart than read off of a script. I mean, does that sound, does that sound right? Yeah, I, I see where you're
1: coming from. Um, He's old school, and of course, cutting promos is back in the day. where They weren't scripted, and that's the era he came up in and how he was raised. Um, I I said before, I don't know if Jeff Jarrett is Hall of Fame for me, but for the WWE, yeah, because he had a successful run there. Um, Much like Hillbilly Jim, I think a lot of people say, well, why is he in the Hall of Fame? Well, if you look at what he did in the WWF, which it is their Hall of Fame, yeah, he does deserve to go in. With that being said – um. Jeff is. There's, he definitely has a passion for the business, and we talked about off mic the WWE Hall of Fame for good or bad. Every year has become a bit formulaic. You know, you're going to have the woman inducted, the diversity uh, entrant, whether it's the you know African American, Hispanic, whatever, a tag team, somebody uh, an older veteran, a main event star, and you're going to have the redemption story. And Jeff was definitely this year's redemption story. Um, I think people who slam Vince McMahon need to understand that time does heal all wounds and that Vince does give people second chances. And that's, that's a good thing because um, I think Vince knows that he, he's needed some second chances himself in life. Um, Jeff's been through a lot in the last 10, 15 years. I mean, he lost his wife. There was, you know, the documented, well-documented relationship he has with Kurt Angle's ex-wife. Yet they still seem to be on, on, you know, friendly terms. His own confessed uh, substance abuse issues, and Vince's helping him get go to rehab and get cleaned up. Uh, he's had some issues with his dad because of all the things I mentioned. So he is a good redemption story, and for that, uh, I don't want to see any of my brothers uh, suffer. I don't want to see any of my brothers struggle. Uh, with issues that could be indirectly linked to the wrestling business, and Jeff's overcome a lot of those, and and so I respect him for that, and I'm glad he got a night to be honored for those things. So
0: I I thought it was heartfelt, too. And, of course, they wound up his speech, and I knew they were going to do it, especially Mm -hmm. since Road Dogg was inducting him. They wound it up by singing with my baby tonight.
1: (laughs) Which they can partially thank to Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson since they love to sing that song every chance they get on their podcast. <laughs> 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 uh, but, you know, it, it, it wasn't, it, it kind of went over like a fart in church, in my opinion. But as awesome as the Freebirds, doing the similar thing if you, and how we both sang praises of that, that worked better than this one, in my opinion, you know, right. um, but, but I give an A for effort to, 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 to Brian and, and Jeff for, for they went out and they did the best they could, you know? <laughs>
0: and plus it's just not as good of a song as, as, as bad street USA.
1: <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. That, that, that's part of it, but it goes to the, what we talked about earlier with the table, powerbomb table spot for the dudleys it was one of those things that just probably didn't need to be in there you know it was just like silly vince and and his people i wonder i'm always ragging on how vince's people are tv people and not wrestling people so and it doesn't work i also think that some of these people have never watched any kind of hall of fame induction to like say the rock and roll hall of fame or another sports because they're scripting this crap too you know so it's like why don't you go watch three or four of the NFL's induction hall of fame inductions and then try to write yours, you know, now don't get me wrong. I've seen it before. I remember when Dan Marino got inducted into the hall of fame, the NFL, he did after his speech, pull a football out from underneath the podium and throw it out to, I think Mark Duper in the crowd. Uh, But throwing a football to one of your old, one of your old receivers is a lot different than trying to get the crowd to sing a song with you or putting a guy through a table with a power bomb. Am I wrong in feeling that way?
0: No, no, not at all.
1: Okay. But anyways, I digress. I'll get off my soapbox now.
0: And another thing that's become modern tradition is the Warrior Award, and that went to J.J. Robertson, who, if I understand the story right, he's 15 years old and had his liver transplanted twice. I believe that's correct. And uh, I I didn't really follow the story that well, but that that kid has some spunk to him.
1: Oh, man, that kid had more charisma and personality than 90% of the guys on the roster right now. (laughs) But... I know this is going to catch me all kinds of heat, okay? I mean, loaded, loaded amounts of heat for saying this. I am so damn sick and tired of the Warrior Award and Dana Warrior every year. It, it just brings me down, okay? Now, remember, ladies and gentlemen and wrestling fans, I work with with special needs kids in my real job. My, I have a child myself who is special needs. I have done charity work myself when I was wrestling. I am not saying... That these individuals that they honor shouldn't be honored because I think it's wonderful. It, it, it brings a tear to my heart. Whether it's somebody you know like like Joan London, who's a cancer survivor but also a celebrity, or someone like this young man, I'm so damn sick and tired of seeing Dana Warrior and and this just drag. It, it needs to stop. It drags down. It drags down the ceremony, in my opinion. Every year she drones on and on and on and says the same. Excuse my language thing every year we, okay, we get it we know who your husband was okay we're wrestling fans i, I don't know if you feel the same way it just i'm tired of it. it it's it needs to be done in a little segment like they do the legacy where they're mentioning they're giving it the award to somebody do a little video package and move the hell on okay remember send your send your hate mail to at crazy jb at twitter i'll now razz me if you want what were you gonna say
0: well no, I was just going to say um I I think it comes across to me as it's WWE saying, you know, hey hey look at look at what look at what we do, you know.
1: That's one of the aspects of it that that drives me nuts. I mean, who is Dana Warrior? She wasn't even married to Jim Hellwig when he was in the business. They didn't get married till after he was over he was retired. You know, it's like and I don't, I don't want to speak ill of the dead I, by any stretch of the imagination. I'm wondering if this whole situation Uh, you know, I, I know it was something that came out of his, his, let's be honest, very creepy and eerily timed death, you know, that was weird when that went down and I'm wondering, you know, when that, when the company did the right thing and, and told his widow and children, we'll take care of you because of what your husband and father meant to our company. If this was part of the negotiation, that just, it just, it re there's so many things wrong with it on so many levels. I I just I could spend three whole episodes complaining about it, but I, I won't. I'm said, You can hate me all you want, send me your stuff, but I get a strange feeling that a lot of 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 our listeners, if they, if they if they weren't being politically correct and in those private quiet moments to themselves, probably dislike it as much as I do, and for a lot of the same
0: reasons. But I could be wrong. But well, moving on, uh, the next guest.
1: Did I throw you a curveball you weren't expecting? I'm sorry about that.
0: <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, moving on, um, Mark Henry, wh- inducted by The Big Show, and you could tell how emotional he was uh, in, in his speech. I mean, I, I think the emotion he was showing was genuine. Mm-hmm. I, I totally and, agree. Yeah. And he, he told the story of with the, uh, uh, all the athletic accomplishments he had because, you know, he, remember, he was a legitimate athlete, you know, he was more than just a weightlifter. Uh, you can actually search for Mark Henry slam dunk, and you'll see a 370-pound Mark Henry slamming a basketball. Mm, he threw shot put in discus in college. Yeah, he was a legit athlete. So Vince called him, and I, lo- I love the story because uh, Mark actually does a pretty decent Vince McMahon impression. and
1: hey,
0: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is Vince McMahon, and he just hung up because he thought it was a prank, and then... He got a call a little bit later that said, "Uh, did you just hang up on Vince (laughs) McMahon? Right. It was
1: from his weightlifting trainer, who I'm sure was the the middleman between Vince getting his number to begin with. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: I do admire that he kind of took the blame for his lack of success for the first few years of his career. And Mm -hmm. I love the Ernie Ladd story where uh, Ernie Ladd sat him down and said, you got to focus more, kid. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and then, right when that happened, there's like some weird noise that came over the the speakers, and Marcus looks up and goes, "Ernie, is that you?
1: <laughs> if there's anybody ever in this
0: business, I think
1: we'll come come and haunt you from from beyond the grave. It might be Ernie Ladd. So that was awesome. <laughs> oh, Ernie Ladd was so good.
0: Anyways, <laughs> a true then man's you man. On, yeah. Then he put on a cape that looked like something Sterling Golden would wear. And I don't know how many of our <laughs> listeners get that reference.
1: <laughs> I was thinking James Brown, but Sterling Golden works just as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For those that that may not know, Sterling Golden was one of Hulk Hogan's early gimmicks, where he would come out in this big gold cape and you know act all you know high and mighty. He had not yet found that charisma that he would have later as Hogan.
1: Think uh, the early stages of the Thunder Lips character from Rocky Three, and you you about got it in right, look and then. demeanor.
0: Yeah, but the the reason he put on that cape was because he went back into his uh, sexual chocolate gimmick and yeah. cut promos like that, um, and he did mention and thanks uh, one of your friends, uh, Ron Simmons, who, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, is the first recognized black world champion because Bobo Brazil's right. NWA title win is not officially recognized. That's correct, and and I think some of the other guys were prior to the NWA,
1: so they were cause called world titles, but they were really regional titles. Guys like I think Sailor Art Thomas
0: and Bearcat Wright. But he wound up his speech by doing kind of an inverse of his fake retirement speech from a few years ago, mm-hmm. uh, basically going into promo mode, uh, challenging AJ for the world title, saying he'd take Roman Reigns as t- t- uh, title shot, and I think he trash talked Cena, and he just stops says. No, I'm just kidding. He takes off the jacket.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think um, this was another great example, like Hillbilly Jim, of seeing a guy. Once you saw how charismatic and funny he is, that's the guy the promoters and bookers saw in the locker room and on the road. And that's part of why. I mean, obviously, because of his size and his his name value and his athletic ability, he was going to get a push. Let's be. You look at a guy like Mark Henry. Take away all the, the strongman stuff. They ain't a guy that's going to be taking hip tosses and arm drags and a ten minute draw in the opening match. That's a guy that's that when he walks in the door, he's bound for main events. It's just that simple, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, with that all being said, once again, you can send your hate mail. I never fully got the Mark Henry, but I also know uh, why he got the push he got. Uh, I was never the biggest fan of Mark Henry, um, but knowing already before this speech I knew from talking to guys that he was like that and that personable and that quick-witted so I knew why he was getting the push he was getting besides all the other stuff um he he deserves to go in once again to the WWE not sure I'd put him in, in in a much broader one that I ran but that's just me um I'm not taking away the fact the guy was a phenomenal athlete um but I just wish that he had been able to express the charisma that he showed in this acceptance speech when he had a run on top, and I think it would have been more successful. Uh, do do you disagree with me or, or see where I'm coming from at all? No, no, not at all.
0: Uh, his probably best work was when he had that world title run uh, around 2009, I want to say. Yeah, 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 about, about, about eight, nine years ago, yeah. Yeah, where he cut that promo – uh, when he, after he won the belt, saying something to the effect of, this is such a wonderful moment. And it's my moment. I'm not sharing it with none of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's, it's hard. You 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 can see once again from his acceptance speech
1: and just look at the guy's face. He has an angel face. That guy should have been a baby face his whole run. Just my opinion. You know, and he also had the, the, the unenviable, uh, a task of being born about 20 years to, too late. Guys like him and the Big Show and Kane and Undertaker should have been much more protected than they were. They should have been protected like Andre was in his era, because they are special. And it's not. And I don't want to hear people say, "Well, they can't do that anymore because the business has changed." Uh, Brock Lesnar, anybody? Absolutely. A guy can be as protected as, as a promoter
0: and a booker want to protect him. That's all I'm saying. And he also brought up Owen Hart because I guess he he oh yeah he he trained for a year and basically worked for a year. Uh, up at stampede and basically stayed if i understand it right essentially stayed with the hearts for a year Mm -hmm. that's right he made the comments he learned how to he learned he had
1: he learned a lot by learning how to babysit the heart kids (laughs) 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 from all the stories i hear about that that little strange castle up on the hill overlooking calgary and everything that went on in the confines that probably was a life changing experience. Just without anything, take the dungeon and everything else out of it. Just that alone, <laughs> you know. Was-
0: and I also thought it was funny uh, that his son was dressed up like Mark was when he gave that fake retirement speech.
1: Yeah, yeah that 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 salmon carnation pink kind of uh, sports coat. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was awesome. I, I you know on the Owen Hart thing, I that I was so happy. That he did that, and the way he did it i was I was shocked when he made it very clear that the company didn't ask him to do this. This was coming from his own heart the, How much he loved and respected Owen, it came through there, and for those listeners who don 't know who wonder why is Owen Hart not in the Hall of Fame? He definitely deserves it. I agree. I think you probably agree as well, don't you Seth, that Owen should be in the Hall Hall of Fame? Yes, the reason he's not is because his widow Martha just won't allow it um. Yes, there was a settlement and an agreement co- uh, reached by the WWE and Martha after the tragic death of Owen, but she just hasn't forgiven it. And I think that she doesn't want her, she doesn't want her children anywhere around it, uh, which is why I was especially impressed with the wording that Mark chose. When he called out Owen's son, Oge, by name and told her for him, you need to let his dad in this Hall of Fame. Um, kind of got a little bit of a lump in my throat when he did it. Truth be told. Um, it was kind of, yeah, of amazing to me. It was just, wow. I mean, Owen was without a doubt. He was a contemporary of mine. He was universally one of the most well-liked and, and respected guys in all the business in every promotion. And it's a cry and shame. He's not there. And we all, all, all hate how his life ended. I can tell you as being a wrestler in that era, the two toughest times for anybody that was in the business and made a living for professional wrestling in the 90s and 2000s was the Chris Benoit tragedy and the Owen Hart tragedy. And I haven't fully gotten my mind around either one of those. And you won't ever hear us talk at length about either one of those on this podcast because, quite frankly, I can't. I, I, I can't do it. I can't and I either. won't do it. So <sighs> suffice it to say, you know, uh, it's just – it was amazing to me. And I hope and pray that as time heals all wounds, Martha will soften and Owen will be in there one day. And maybe this will be the start down that path. Bruno made peace. Warrior made peace. Brett made peace. Jarrett and Vince made peace.
0: So there is hope. All right. We'll wind this up with Goldberg's induction speech. And that was the main event, you know, because they have their main event guy every year. He was inducted Mm -hmm. by Paul Heyman, who did his full, you know, my name is Paul Heyman gimmick. Mm -hmm. And I I love how he said, kind of melding uh, the wrestling world and reality together, where he said, you know, why Mm -hmm. am I inducting Goldberg? He said, personally, I wish I'm half the the father that he is to his son. And then he went into this promo where he said, professionally, we needed somebody that could beat Brock. Be my. (laughs) No, you missed how he worded it. You're probably wondering
1: why the owner of ECW is inducting the best and biggest homegrown star from WCW into the WWE Hall of Fame, which I thought was beautifully worth. That's Paul at his finest, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yes. But Goldberg got his classic entrance, where you know the knock on the door and you know the, the total walk backstage. Only, of course, he comes out in in a suit and as he's walking through to the stage, everybody he, he walks past is giving him a round of applause and uh, I, he, I thought it was funny that he said he was going to be brief and to the point, but I think his speech was about 30 minutes. <laughs> it
1: was. <laughs> he mm-hmm. lied.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but again, like Mark Henry's speech, I mean, he, I think he was very emotional and very thankful. I think he was very honest where he said he got burned out on, on wrestling and took those years off and then about the time WWE came calling. Now, he'd, he'd worked some matches in Japan before that, I think, but they were right. here and there one-offs. Um, Just
1: for a paycheck. That's all it was. Right.
0: Right. But for him to get back in full-time, it really wasn't until WWE approached him with the game, and he talked about his training re- re- regime, what was it, mm-hmm. 10,000, 15,000 calories a day. I can't right. even imagine the type of workout that it would take to to burn off that many calories.
1: Well, I mean, look at the guy's genetic freak. There's, there's no doubt about that. and it had been well documented for a long time, ever since he had had his son, that he wanted to do one last run. So his son, who was not alive when he had his first big run in WCW, could see, you know, uh, as a father myself, I, I can respect that. My, 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 my youngest children don't remember me being on the road much because they were very, very young. And by the time I retired, they were just starting school. So their memory, my two oldest kids, on the other hand, they remember what it was
0: like having dad gone all the time. You know, so I understand that. And I love the story that he told near the end of his speech where he, he would, he would always headbutt the door uh, on on his way to the ring. So he punched then, the
1: door instead. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so, you know, when Steph told him to, he can't headbutt the door anymore. And he's like, well, you know, I'll pay for the door. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's like, so instead I punched the door and broke my hand <laughs> and then still went on to wrestle after that. Right. Um
1: yeah, I, I thought Goldberg's speech was was really well done as well. I think that Goldberg, by his own admission, has never been a great talker. I think the best promo he ever cut was that one went right after he came back. You know, I thought that was probably the best promo mm-hmm. of his career. Uh yeah, I think you had agreed with me on that one before. Uh but I thought once again there was a sincerity there. Public speaking is not really his forte, but he was he was composed, he was articulate. Um he's Bill Goldberg's an intense guy. And even when he's in a more laid-back setting, you can you can sense this is an intense individual. His watch is wound a little bit on the tight side, so uh, that's fine. That's who he is. Uh, that's part of what made him a star. Um, he definitely deserves to go in uh, without question. He's uh, he had a very very short run, but my gosh, it was one of the most impactful runs I can ever think of in, in wrestling. You know, um, I, I of course on a personal note. He's a Georgia Bulldog like me. So you know, and the <laughs> fact that he called out Roman Reigns on being a Georgia Tech yellow jacket made it even better for me. <laughs> that's just, I was like, that's right. Put him in his place. It's <laughs> so like a friend of mine who's he's is one of my African-American friends, is a, a, a fan of Miami, University of Miami. And uh, he's a big wrestling fan. And he's often said the only thing that's wrong with Ron Simmons is he went to Florida State. So <laughs> those, those <laughs> rivalries in college football run deep. They don't they don't die when you when you leave the school. That's all I'm saying.
0: <laughs> but Goldberg shows it, that this almost always works, especially when it's done well. That you get a big freaky monster dude and just have him mow through people. He's going to get over.
1: Yep. Yeah. You
0: know, road Warriors. You know Goldberg.
1: The only problem with that is that eventually the dragon has to be slain. And when they are, if you don't handle how you do it, um, they might lose their mystique. And many will argue that that's what happened with Goldberg, you know? Right. So, I think that I, I'll be honest with you. For all the crap Kevin Nash gets for booking that with Bill Goldberg, I think that they, Kev tried to do it the right way. Oh my God, it was, it was outside interference with a freaking electric cattle prod. It just wasn't the right time. I think. If you let the, the street go a little bit longer and there was a little bit of, you know, you, you got to sense, because people got to remember John Cena wasn't always getting booed when he first got his rocket strapped to him. He was really over, you know, and it wasn't till a few years down the road when people got a little bit sick and tired of it. If you can sense that coming as a booker and then you pull the trigger on the finish that they did, then it probably works, you know?
0: So, yeah, he was red hot when they beat him and that that's not really the right time to do it. it?
1: Yeah and it's hard because you don't know it's it, it, i you just don't know you 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 can sense it coming sometimes and sometimes you just i mean roman reigns for goodness sakes roman was over like crazy when he was in the in the shield he might have been the most popular member of the of the faction and he was hot for the first couple months when they pulled him off but it didn't take long for the crowd to get tired of him did it right Which, if you well, remember i called long before that happened on one of our old A A one wrestling podcasts, mm-hmm. we did a <laughs> we did a, a fantasy draft, and everybody scoffed at me. And then when it happened a year and a half, two years later, I looked like a, a genius. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about the wrestling business. I didn't, you know, ever do it for fifteen years and feed my family without. I don't know anything about the wrestling business. Well, I don't know why you're coming to me for advice and listening to me. I, you know, just saying.
0: But overall, I mean, I I can't really complain about any any of the picks here i think everybody they they selected was worthy i think this is one of the strongest years ever as a, for an
1: overall class i uh, i always thought that and I, and I was right once again i said this years ago and i was i'm being proven right when Vince started putting it, all these people in i mean every year was like this just just jam-packed line i'm like if you really you're sincerely wanting to do this as an annual event you're going to start going to run out of people pretty fast I mean, I can't remember what year it was, but that there was that one year they put everybody minus Mr. T, who was in the main event of the first WrestleMania, in the same year.
0: Yeah, I think you know, that was. Like, I want to say that was 2005. Okay, I, I think. And
1: I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, you just wasted a solid five years worth of inductions if you'd have just stretched them out. But you put Piper and Hogan and Orndorff and Snuka and Orton all in at the same time. First off, Piper, Piper and Hogan should have gone in different years to start out with. If you're going for this main event guy every year, that could have been main event guys in two separate years, you know, and they're kind of at that point now. And this was the first year in a while where I felt like everybody, you know, it's decisions like that that led to the questionable uh, decisions later down the road that people lament, like, say, Coco beware. You know what I'm saying? Right. And thank God for for Triple H being able to convince Vince to, to to put that olive branch out, or we'd have been really bad because there'd have been, you know, the reason they've been able to kind of cover that mistake from the past is the guys that should have been in a long time ago, but weren't yet triple H has been able to convince Vince to let them in. And that's your Bruno's and your Randy savages and guys like that, you know? So we only can learn from our mistakes. We can't change them. Right.
0: <laughs> exactly. That's going to wrap up this volume of classic wrestling memories and if you have any feedback, please let us know. Uh, the Twitter is TWBPShow, and the, the Facebook is A1-Wrestling.com. You can also post uh, for, for the episodes. We do have uh, Facebook posting available for each of our volumes at ClassicWrestlingMemories.com. Uh, I can be reached at Seth at A1-Wrestling.com uh, for email. And Train, if they want to uh, yell at you about everything you said here, where can they find you?
1: That would be at CrazyTrain underscore JB on Twitter.
0: With that said, we're going to close out this episode of Classic Wrestling Memories, and we will talk to you folks again next time.